Good morning, happy Sabbath, and welcome to this week's edition of Eyes on Prophecy. I am your teacher, or I should say that God is our teacher, and he's speaking through me every week when we come together. But my name is Pastor Vince, and uh, with the help of God and his Holy Spirit, I will be leading us in our Bible study this week for part two of our lesson on God Drew the Plans. Our lessons come from the Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides. And uh, as I just said a moment ago, this is going to be part two of our lesson study on God Drew the Plans, which means we are studying about the sanctuary according to the Bible. So happy Sabbath once again. So glad that you're joining me for another edition of Eyes on Prophecy. It's a beautiful Sabbath here in the city of Charlotte, North Carolina. It is Sabbath morning. November 18th, 2023, and I am just flat out excited, as one of my uh, former business partners used to say, I am just flat out excited about what God has to teach us this week from his word. So I don't want to spend any more time with the introduction. I want to get right into our study today. We have a lot to cover today. We're not going to complete our lesson today. We still got maybe, I don't know, maybe another week or two to uh, completely go through this lesson, but I want to start with a word of prayer and then I'll give a quick uh, recap of what we talked about last week and then we'll get into our lesson for today. Is that all right? All right. Let us pray. Loving Father, thank you so much for our lesson study this week. Thank you that we could come together for another lesson study here on Eyes on Prophecy. Thank you so much for bringing us through the week, for blessing us that we can come together once again on your Holy Sabbath day to study your word and to learn more about the sanctuary. Please prepare our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, friends. So as I said a little while ago, um, our lesson is entitled God Drew the Plans and it's coming from uh, the Amazing Facts Study Guide number 17. Um, we're talking about the sanctuary according to the Bible. And let me just give uh, the quick recap from last week. If you want to hear the entirety of what we discussed last week, I invite you to go back to last week's episode, last, last Sabbath's episode of Eyes on Prophecy. You're going to find part one uh, talking about God drew the plan. So last week we looked at uh, our first question. And if you've been following us for a while, you've been studying with me for a while, you know that these lessons are uh, uh, they're set up as a question and answer format. So last week we went through question number one, which was, what did God ask Moses to build? And the answer was, the Lord told Moses to build a sanctuary, which is a special building that would serve as a dwelling place for the God of heaven. We also looked at a brief description of the sanctuary. I won't go back through that. Uh, again, you can uh, go back and listen to last week's episode to hear more about the brief description of the sanctuary. Uh, question number two was, what did God expect his people to learn from the sanctuary? The answer was, or the answer is, uh, God's way, which is the plan of salvation, is revealed in the earthly sanctuary. So I'll just stop there with the answer. There's more to the answer, but again, I'm inviting you to go back to last week's episode to hear the entirety of the answer to that question. Uh, question number three, 
From what source did Moses obtain the blueprints for the sanctuary? Of what was the building a copy? The answer, God himself gave Moses the sanctuary's construction specifications. The building was a copy of the original sanctuary in heaven. So again, the the earthly sanctuary was supposed to be a copy of the original sanctuary in heaven. And those were the, the, the three questions that we looked at last week. Um, we also looked at uh, the furniture uh, that was in the courtyard. Uh, we looked at the altar of, of, of burnt offerings, the laver. We looked at the furniture in the holy place, which uh, uh, the furniture consisted of the uh, table of showbread, the seven-branch candlestick, the altar of incense. We looked at the furniture in the most holy place, uh, which is the Ark of the Covenant, and what was inside the Ark itself, the Ten Commandments, which God wrote on tables of stone. Again, I invite you to please go back and listen to last week's episode, which was part one of this particular lesson study. So now for this week, we're going to go to our next question, uh, question number eight, and that is, why did animals need to be sacrificed in the sanctuary service? Again, why did animals need to be sacrificed in the sanctuary service? Uh, our scriptures uh, to help us with this uh, answer come from Hebrews 9 and 22. Hebrews 9 and 22 says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Again, that's Hebrews 9 and 22. Also, Matthew 26 and 28 says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Again, our uh, question is, why did animals need to be sacrificed in the sanctuary services? And here's our answer. Uh, the sacrificing of animals was necessary to help people understand that without the shedding of Jesus' blood, their sins could never be forgiven. Now, the ugly, shocking truth is that the wage for sin is eternal death, and that's according to Romans 6 and 23. Since all of us have sinned, all of us have earned death. When Adam and Eve sinned, they would have died at once except for Jesus, who stepped forward and offered to give his perfect life as a sacrifice to pay the death penalty for all people, according to John 3:16, Revelation 13 and 8. After sin, God required the sinner to bring an animal sacrifice, according to, uh, the, uh, that's according to Genesis 4, verses 3 through 7. The sinner was to kill the animal with his own hand. You can read about that in, in Leviticus 1, verses 4 and 5. It was bloody and shocking, and it indelibly impressed the sinner with the solemn reality of sin's awful, conse uh, awful consequences, meaning eternal death and the desperate need of a savior and substitute. Without a savior, no one has any hope for salvation. So the sacrificial system taught through the symbol of the slain animal that God would give his only son or his own son to die for their sins. You can read 1 Corinthians 15 and 3. Jesus would become not only their savior, but also their substitute, as in, Hebrews 9 and 28. When John the Baptist met Jesus, he said this. You may recall this is what he said. 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1 and 29. In the Old Testament, people looked forward to the cross for salvation. We look back to Calvary for salvation. There is no other source of salvation, according to Acts 4 and 12. So that is the answer to that question. Why did animals need to be sacrificed in the sanctuary services? And we just gave you uh, numerous Bible verses to support that answer. To support that answer. Uh, question number nine. Why were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary services and with what meaning? Why were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary services and with what meaning? The Bible says in Leviticus 1, verses 4 and 11, He shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill it on the north on the north side of the altar. Again, that's Leviticus 1, verses 4 and 11. So the answer to the question, how were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary services and with what meaning? The answer is, when a sinner brought a sacrificial animal to the door of the courtyard, a priest handed him a knife and a basin. The sinner laid his hands on the animal's head and confessed and confessed his sins. This symbolized the transfer of sin from the sinner to the animal. At that point, the sinner was considered innocent and the animal guilty. Since the animal was now symbolically guilty, it had to pay sin's wage, which was death or is death. So by slaying the animal with his own hand, the sinner was thus uh, graphically taught that sin caused the innocent animal's death and that his sin would cause the death of the innocent Messiah. So many of us know that this points to Jesus. Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. Hence the name of this ministry, Sacrificial Lamb Ministries. This uh, biblical fact, if you will, was the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the fact, uh, this is what impressed me to call this ministry Sacrificial Lamb Ministries, based on that fact that Jesus was our sacrificial lamb. So, why were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary services and with what meaning? When a sinner brought a sacrificial animal to the door of the courtyard, a priest handed him a knife and basin. And I just read the rest of that answer. Number 10. When a sacrificial an uh, animal was sacrificed for the entire congregation, what did the priest do with the blood? What does this symbolize? When a sacrificial animal was offered for the entire congregation, what did the priest do with the blood? What does this symbolize? The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of, of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And that's according to Leviticus 4, 
verses 16 and 17. The answer to the question, again, the question is, when a sacrificial animal was offered for the entire congregation, what did the priest do with the blood? What does this symbolize? The answer, when a sacrifice was offered for the sins of the entire congregation, the blood was taken by the priest, who represented Jesus, according to Hebrews 3 and 1, into the sanctuary and sprinkled before the veil, uh, before the veil that separated the two rooms. The presence of God dwelt on the other side of the veil. Thus, the sins of the people were, were removed and symbolically transferred to the sanctuary. This ministry of the blood by the priest foreshadowed Jesus' present ministry for us in heaven. After Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, he arose and went to heaven as our priest to minister his blood in the heavenly sanctuary. That's according to Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12. The blood ministered by the earthly priest represents Jesus applying his blood to our record of sins in the sanctuary above, showing that they are forgiven when we confess them in his name. I want you to underscore that part. When we confess them in his name, according to 1 John 1 and 9. So we just looked at these last three questions. Why did animals need to be sacrificed in the sanctuary services? How were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary services and with what meaning? And when a sacrificial animal was offered for the entire congregation, what did the priest do with the blood? What does this symbolize? Friend, I know this is a lot of information that you're taking in right now that I'm sharing with you. Um, the beautiful thing about technology is that you can always go back and replay this episode and, um, you, you know, you can jot down more notes. You can, you know, um, you know, you can, um, fix your notes. You know, you can just, um, you know, just clarify some things in your mind because this is a lot to take in, but this is very important to understand the sanctuary service and, um, the important role that Jesus played and continues to play in our lives when it comes to his sacrifice for our sins. The next question we want to look at is based on the sanctuary services in what two major capacities does Jesus serve his people? What fantastic benefits do we receive from his loving ministry? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. The Bible also says in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So our answer, we just gave you uh, um, um, some Bible verses there, some scripture to uh, back up the answer to this question. The answer, Jesus serves as the sacrifice for our sins and as our heavenly high priest. Jesus' death as our sacrificial lamb 
there it is, as our sacrificial lamb, again, which inspired the name of this ministry, Sacrificial Lamb Ministries. Jesus' death as our sacrificial lamb and substitute, and his continual powerful ministry as our heavenly priest, accomplished two incredible miracles for us. You definitely want to jot these down. So, um, basically, what did Jesus' death on the cross uh, as our sacrificial lamb and substitute, what did this accomplish for us? Uh, um, two incredible miracles for us, that is. A, a complete life change called the new birth with all the sins of the past forgiven. You can read John 3, verses 3 through 6, and Romans 3, verse 25. B, power to live right in the present and future. According to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, and Philippians 2 and 13. So, as our sacrifice, Jesus brings us a completely transformed life with all sins forgiven. And, as our high priest... Jesus gives us the power to live right in the present and in the future. Amen. So these two miracles make a person righteous, which means a right relationship exists between the person and God. There is no possible way, friend, for me or for you to become righteous by works or by our own efforts, because righteousness requires miracles that only Jesus can accomplish. Read about that in Acts 4, verse 12. So a person becomes righteous by trusting the Savior to do for him what he cannot do for himself. This is what is meant by the biblical term righteousness by faith. We know that Martin Luther um, talked about righteousness by faith. I encourage you to read up on Martin Luther if you don't know who Martin Luther was and what he meant to the Christian church back in the early days during the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther talked about something that we know still today as righteousness by faith. So we ask Jesus to become the ruler of our lives and trust him to work the needed miracles as we cooperate fully with him. His righteousness, which is miraculously accomplished for us and in us by Christ, is the only true righteousness that exists. Every other kind is a counterfeit. Remember that. Every other kind is a counterfeit. All right, so we're wrapping up what we're going to cover in this week's lesson, in this week's episode. So question number 12 of our lesson. What six promises does the Bible give about the righteousness offered to us through Jesus. Again, what six promises does the Bible give about the righteousness offered to us through Jesus? You may want to jot these down. If you don't uh, catch them all right now, of course, you can always go back and replay this episode and you can jot them down and just, you know, just catch what you missed. A, he will cover our past sins and count us as guiltless. The, the scriptures to support that answer are Isaiah 44 verse 22, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. B, 
We were created in God's image in the beginning, according to Genesis 1 and, and 26, as well as 27. And Jesus promises to restore us to God's image, according to Romans 8 and 29. C. Jesus gives us the desire to live righteously and then grants us his power to actually accomplish it, according to Philippians 2 and 13. D. Jesus, by his miracle power, will cause us to happily do only the things that please God, according to Hebrews 13 and 20, as well as 21, John 15 and 11. E. He removes the death sentence from us by crediting us with his sinless life and atoning death, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. And lastly, letter F, Jesus assumes responsibility for keeping us faithful until he returns to take us to heaven. That's according to um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Jude 1, and 24. So let me just run those down again really quick. Again, we're, we're answering the question, what six promises does the Bible give about the righteousness offered to us through Jesus? A, he will cover our past sins and count us as guiltless. B, we were created in God's image in the beginning. And Jesus promises to restore us to God's image. C. Jesus gives us the desire to live righteously and then grants us his power to actually accomplish it. D. Jesus, by his miracle power, will cause us to happily do only the things that please God. E. He removes the death sentence from us by crediting us with his sinless life and atoning death. And F. Jesus assumes responsibility for keeping us faithful until he returns to take us to heaven. Amen. Friend, there's a song that says, Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory, who, over, who overcomes the world. Friend, are you ready for Jesus to come? Let's invite Jesus into our hearts today. Let us ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can live like Jesus. We can, we can, uh, uh, we can reflect Jesus's character. It is through the power of the indwelling Christ that we can get the victory over sin. I just read for you the six promises um, uh, that the Bible gives about the righteousness offered to us through Jesus. It is only through Jesus that we can have the victory, friend. If you didn't know that, now you know. There's no phrase that goes, if you don't know, now you know. You may be familiar with that. I won't go any further with that. Anyway, let us have a word of prayer as we close out this week's episode. Loving Father, thank you so much once again for this lesson study that, you, uh, that we have in front of us called uh, God drew the plans, and certainly you drew the plans through your sanctuary service. Thank you so much for what you gave us today. May we continue to study your word. May we continue to go deeper into your word. And please, uh, by your grace, bring us back next week to continue our lesson study on God drew the plans. Thank you so much for what you've done, what you're doing, and for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friend, thank you so much for 
joining me for this week's episode of Eyes on Prophecy. Um, I know we kind of went through that a little quickly, but again, the beauty of technology is that you can go back, you can replay this episode as many times as you need to, to, you know, to tighten up your notes, you know, to clean up your notes, catch something that you may have missed, and you can jot it down or whatever. But I know, like I said, we covered a lot this week, but this is so important for us to understand. And, uh, you know, God wants us to um, to understand his word and he does not want us to be afraid of his word. Um, God sends people, not only me, but he sends many people to help us to understand his word. I've said this on past episodes that there are many people, unfortunately, there are many people in this world who feel they don't need to listen to anyone. Um, I'm saying this from experience. Oh, I don't need to listen to anyone. I could just study for myself. I don't need a pastor or anyone to tell me about the word. I could study for myself. Well, friend, if this, if this is your first time ever hearing me say this or talk about this, I'll just say it again. Yes, we should study the Bible for ourselves, I've said it in the past that um, there's nothing wrong with fact-checking the person that's teaching you, whether it's the pastor, whether it's, 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 you know, it's the Bible teacher, it's the pastor, the preacher, whoever it may be. I expect you to fact-check me. I'm giving you uh, Bible verses to jot down, to go back and read for yourself and study for yourself. Yes, we should do that. But to just outright say, well, I don't need to listen to anybody. I'm just going to entirely read the Bible uh, for myself. Well, uh, there's a problem with that because we can end up leaning to our own understanding. There are many uh, things in God's word that should be taken, that should be taken literally. Other things are not meant to be literal. And I won't go into those, into those examples, but I'm just saying that God sends people who are inspired, who are led by the Holy Spirit to teach us, to help us to understand. So let let none of us allow um, pride or whatever else you want to call it to get in the way of God teaching us his word, speaking through someone else to help us to understand. So I'm not saying I'm the only one that understands God's word, understands God's word. There are many other people in this world who understand God's word uh, just as well as I do, if not better than I do. I have to um, learn from others as well. I have humbled myself, and that's I, I, w- I would say that's the key word. We have to humble ourselves to listen to others. And like I said, we should go behind them and fact check them because that's, that's essentially what the Bereans did. They listened to others. They listened to Paul. They listened to others teach them, but they went behind them to make sure that what they taught, what they said was so. And we know that's Bible, to study the book of Acts. So I'm not going to say any more about that. Um, I just thank you so much once again for joining me here for another edition of Eyes on Prophecy. By God's grace, we'll come back together again next week and continue our lesson study on God drew the plans. Next week when we come together, by God's grace, it'll be part three of our lesson study. So until then, have a blessed Sabbath, have a great weekend, and may the Lord be with you. This is Pastor Vince. Take care.